I too am uh, going to be happy Pastor gets back. It's, um, it's been a fast week, but I'm sure that as excited as they are to have um, uh, done the ministry that they have, that I'm sure that there's also some tired. There's a little bit of fatigue that comes with the missionary schedule, so I'm, I'm glad they're, bet they're going to be glad to be back. Just in gr- a brief mention uh, this morning, next week, um, if you are interested in beginning a life group, and I'm going to be approaching some of you, so don't freak out, um, we want you to uh, just come and see me, and I'll kind of give you some information about something that we're having kind of a, 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 a little mini event for some th- so those who are interested in beginning a life group uh, next week, and I can fill you in on that. We are tweaking out our life groups, and I'm really, really excited about it. I'm, I think it's going to make a big difference in how we've been doing, our, I've been, uh, doing this ministry, and um, it's, we're going to just really go for it, and uh, I'm excited to share about that with those who are interested in it. And uh, if I come up to you and ask you and you say, who, me? It's going to be, yeah, you. <laughs> so uh, just, uh, just kind of be prepared for that. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's just an exciting time in ministry for that. So um, I want to speak to you this morning on perspectives. And um, in, the, in the plural, perspective, perspectives. And I'm going to be using a story in the Bible that many of us are familiar with. We've many, if you've been in church any period of time, you've heard this story uh, from birth. But before I get into the text this morning, I want to just kind of throw up a few pictures here that kind of challenge our perspective. Okay, ready? Can you put that one up there, Miriam? This is a picture that gives you the illusion this man is some kind of giant. Uh, but whether they're model cars or just in the angle that he is at, in the distance, you see the cityscape, it would appear this man is probably 50 feet tall. But of course, he's not, right? We don't, not that we know of, right? So, um, so, any, so anyway, so he looks like he's playing with some toy cars, having a little fun there. Go to the next one. We look like we have some people kind of have doing a little yoga on top of a water bottle, um, just kind of having a great time. But actually, it's just a perspective thing, right? The water bottle looks huge, does it not? It looks enormous, and um, that would be kind of fun, I think, rolling the water bottle. Do you want the next one, Miriam? A dog. I saw a dog probably almost this big in Nips the other day. It was a St. Bernard. It almost made me do a double take when I saw it when I walked in the door, and it was laying there, and I thought, wow, he's probably eaten like 10 burgers already, but a huge dog but we know how these fun pictures can be taken. Go to one more for me, Miriam. This one. This one's kind of freaky looking. She's, uh, she's holding a mirror, but it looks like she's got a hula hoop and she's invisible in the middle. A little bit about perspective, okay? Perspective does challenge us, and perspective has a large part to do with how we live our lives and how we approach everything and everybody we meet in our life. Perspective is a big thing. So I want to read to you the passage this morning. Bear with me about 14 verses in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 14. It says this, the New Living Translation, The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given, him, given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, our... Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. 
Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited on the door of Elisha's house, at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. I want you just to, for a moment, let us bow, let us pray. And as we do, we're going to pray, and then we're going to worship God just for a minute, and then we're going to get into this this morning. Heavenly Father, pray in your own way with me this morning. We just lift up and thank you for the presence of God that has already showed up in this place. I thank you that your name is above every name. I thank you that, God, your name, Lord God, is here to, to, to work in the behalf of those, Lord God, who call on that name. I pray in Jesus' name that your word, Lord, would find good soil this morning. Lord God, let it go deep into our hearts. Lord, let it bring forth a harvest in our life. We give you thanks in Jesus' name we pray. Now, could you just raise your hands and give God praise for just a moment? And let's just give him thanks. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord God. I don't pray to the walls. I don't pray to the ceiling. I pray to you. I thank you that you're a God that hears. You're a God who's aware of every need. You're a God who knows every heart and the minds of men. I ask you to have your way this morning. And I praise you. We give you glory, honor, and thanks, Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. This morning, I'm talking about perspective this morning. You know, in literary language, there are numerous different ways that a story can be told or a narrative is told. When you go to read a story, whether it's a fictional uh, book or some other form that is non-factual, there is a narrative. And often, even in 
factual and biographical ways of telling stories, there is a narrative form in telling that story. There are tools that the writer is using to convey facts and information that are true, but in order for us to grab them and understand them and relate to them, they tell it in a certain way. And so the writer of this book of 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Kings, is no exception. And he uses some different devices, but I just want to use it, look at three here that sometimes are used. The protagonist is always a character, uh, in, as it says here, as a story that the hero is narrating. We're privy to his thoughts and his actions. It's, when the, it's from the hero's point of view, okay? It's, it's when the protagonist is telling, this is what happened to me. Then we have the detached observer. The detached observer, he sticks to telling the story with no extras. He's just interested in telling the opinions and the effects of the situation. And then there's something called the omniscient voice. And that's when a writer is telling you thoughts and motivations of the characters. As you're reading it, they'll tell, give you a line that a character is saying, but they're also describing the mood or, or what is going through the mind of that person as they're saying what they're saying. And there's a little bit of this and that in here because even though Naaman isn't telling his story, the person telling the story seems very objective, almost like a detached observer. But at the same time, he has the gift of his hindsight or his gift of looking out and seeing in an omniscient way, I can see things that are happening we all didn't know was happening. Have you ever been in the middle of something that when you thought nothing was happening and something was happening? Amen. You can learn to find that out on the back end. You never really know it in real time. Naaman was such a man. Naaman was an enemy of Israel. Naaman was a man who caused havoc for Israelites. Naaman was a, by virtue or by, by occupation, he was a warrior. And he was very, very good at what he did. He was so good, in fact, he wasn't just on an arms list of great guys to take into a barroom brawl. He was the number one guy on the king's list that he went to that commanded the whole group in order to direct them and to show them in the way that they were going to attack an adversary. He was very good and he was very successful. And the word says that he had success and that God had a hand in some of these victories. His king had, his, his king, the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad II, also loved Naaman because he was good at what he did. So as Naaman existed here, there was one thing about Naaman's life that seems to color every human being's life. And though it doesn't have to be exactly the same problem that we have or share one with another, nevertheless, it seems to be this. There was a blemish in his life. That even though he, he, he enjoyed great success and he enjoyed great victory in one area, he had a blemish and he had a diminishment in his life. Matthew Henry at one point made a statement and he said, every man has some but or other in his character, something that blemishes and diminishes him. Some allay to his grandeur, some damp to his joy. He may be very happy, very good, yet in something or other not so good as he should be, nor so happy as he would be. So here's a guy who gets great victory, but there's something that's always missing in his victory because there's a great problem in his life. And it's one of those problems that just some people can't even relate to. He had a problem of leprosy. Leprosy, as you've heard described many times in different ways, but really was a long, painful, de deteriorating, e flesh-eating disease. Matter of fact, it wasn't an instant 
death sentence. It was just something that began to eat. It started in the skin. And in time, if it didn't get better, and if it didn't, you didn't come out of it, it went further into your muscles. And then in time, if it didn't come back out of that, it would get into your bones until you were dead. You talk about a painful, long, foreboding sentence. Naaman had that. And in some ways, it makes me wonder if that's what motivated him as a great warrior to know I'm dead anyway. I don't know. I have no idea. But something inside of him, though he had some, so many good things going, there was something bad going on. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where it seemed like there were so many good things and yet on the other side, there were some bad things that were happening. It seemed like that when I was happy about the way the job was going, there was a problem in family. When it seemed like that family was going great, there's a problem at work. When it seems like that my relationships with my friends are going well, there's always a rival, someone I didn't even ask for to rise up, and for whatever reason, they just don't like me, and I've got to deal with this problem in my life, and it's not going away. So Naaman is literally in a situation that he can't escape. This is an adversary he cannot, ex he cannot exterminate. He just has to deal with it. And we find out as the verse goes on that here he is dealing, first of all, with his place. Go ahead and throw that up for me, Miriam. Place has a lot to do with perspective. And Naaman was in a very difficult Place. He was in a place where the, he was suffering. He was in a place that formed his perspective. Now check this out. This, I want to read this definition of perspective to you, and then I want to kind of go on it real quick. It is the state of one's ideas, the facts known to one, in having a meaningful interrelationship. It is the faculty of seeing all the relevant data in a meaningful relationship. Can anybody say the word context this morning? Your perspective is born out of your context. Your perspective is born out of where you sit, how you were raised, what you've experienced, what you've been through, and what you've read, what you've heard, and what you chose to believe. Your perspective is formed. This man in this nation his perspective wasn't too fatally affected, even though he knew it was a deadly disease, because in his culture, unlike Israeli culture, he could go into the king's court with leprosy. Matter of fact, his own king, we would find out later, would lean on his arm to go into a pagan god's house of worship in order to worship. So there was a different perspective on how leprosy affected. It was something that you accepted the bad with the good. You accepted the bad things for the good. Isn't that just like life? That there's, the good, there's good times and there's bad times, and you got to learn how to deal with both. But in his culture, unlike Jewish culture, that if you had this disease and the priests declared you unclean, you had to run about and cry unclean, unclean, unclean. Here, this man continued on, and I kind of like Naaman because of that. He said, I'm not going to sit here and shrivel up, but he kept going even though it was a fruitless effort. First thing he, he struggled with was this, is that he had an irreversible condition. His perspective was, my situation is irreversible, so why worry about it? Some people see something like that, irreversible, and it makes them fold. Once a lively personality now goes into seclusion, once a jovial, spirited, fun-loving heart and fun-loving life now is somber and depressed and goes into hiding, 
Hang with me, sis. Go ahead and sit down for a minute, okay? You can sit down for a moment. And so sometimes, you know, we look and see our problems as irreversible. We see them as unchanging. And there is somehow, when the armor comes off and you go into your bedchamber, there are tears there that are not shed in front of other people. There are hearts and aches and pains that you don't show in front of the people you don't want to know where you're hurting. So in this place, it was irreversible. He had a wife, but I don't read about a son. He suffered in intimacy. How are you intimate with your wife when you have a disease like leprosy? He was suffering in intimacy. He couldn't get close. So his machoism, his external persona became so big that he hid behind it and he could not step beyond the barrier of being a winner when he was losing in his private life at home. He could not be intimate with his wife. He could not, he could laugh with his men. He could order his men, but he missed and lacked that camaraderie of closeness. Why? Because he missed out on intimacy. From his perspective, on the outside, Everybody saw him a winner. But on the inside, he said, I'm losing so much. I'm lost so much. So go to the next one. The next one is this. Providence. Here is an interesting take on the story of Naaman. While Naaman is doing for the Lord, the writer, a Jewish writer, writes of Naaman, it was by him that the Lord brought great victories. That's an interesting statement. These people were considered enemies. And he's saying, looking into this story, I can see God was working. And how is that? It's almost like, let me tell you how it happened. One day, Naaman went on one of his raids and his men came back and they had a captive young maiden. From her perspective, her life had just been disheveled. She just got jerked out of her home. I don't know if her parents were killed. I don't know if she was robbed right out of the house or from the yard. I don't know. But she was taken to a foreign land that spoke in a different language as a young maiden and thrown into a situation where now she was a servant girl. She was no longer a Jewish young lady that was having parents and being raised in her homeland. She was displaced. And so now she's in the house of Naaman. And while she's in this house and she's serving her mistress, Naaman's wife, Okay, check this out. Serving Naaman's wife. One day, she sees this guy walk in. Now, she's seen Naaman first, and she saw the wife. But it says, one day, she looked up and said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to Israel. There's a prophet over there that could heal him of his leprosy. From all rights and all purposes, this girl becomes an incredible heroine in this story. Because she is not pouting in silence. She is not off to herself thinking, man, I hope he dies from leprosy. That guy just took me out of my home country. He just raided my village. He just hurt my people. I tell you what, I know who could heal him, but that ain't going to happen. He's he's just going to die right there. We're back in there nursing his wounds because guess what? He deserves it. He hurts my people. He took me away. But this girl has a different perspective. Her perspective is this, in the middle of being jerked out of what was normal and what was usual and being thrown into what was unusual, she said, what is God doing? She asked a question, what is God doing in the middle of this circumstance? Providence is beginning to happen. 
God is beginning to work in a way that where he is showing his care and concern. Matter of fact, it means, providence means this, the foreseen care and guidance of God. Here's a man that is the mortal enemy of the people of God. I've established that. And here is a young maiden of Israel, and she is giving him every bit and piece he may need to get to where he needs to be to get a healing in his life. Saints of God, can I tell you something? When you get eyes on what is going on for you and what's happening to you and why me and it's poor me and my goodness and this, I'm not saying bad stuff hasn't happened. I'm not saying bad stuff hasn't went down. I'm saying you need to change your perspective. You need to change the way you're looking at your circumstances. You need to change the way that you're seeing it and start beginning to ask where is God and how is God working in the middle of my discomfort and in the middle of my displeasure? The invasion, designation. Well, Naaman hears it. His wife tells him. He goes to the king. Now, I want to tell you, have you ever been so desperate from, to hear a word from God that you would listen to anybody? I have. You know, what was that you said? I'll find some biblical meaning in it. I need God to speak so bad. You know, did my dog bark? What was that? Is he going to prophesy? Let me listen. Okay, right? Have you ever been so desperate for God to speak or to hear something that might change? Remember now, in Naaman's mind, he's no way. It's a death sentence. He might as well fight as hard as he can fight and die hard on the battlefield because that's the way it's going to be. But now he hears something else could be possible. Now he hears a different perspective. And now she's showing, showing there's a possibility you could go over here. He would be healed. The king says, I tell you what. He says, go and see the prophet. Let me write you a letter of introduction. And I want you to carry it with you to the king. Boy, it's getting ready to get really interesting right now. Because now he's just sent Naaman on an errand to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel has his own set of problems. Go ahead to the next one. He's in a state of protest. He has a perspective of protest. Why is that? Because he doesn't have the respect of Elisha, the national prophet, because he won't straighten his act up. But at the same time, he wants his cake and he wants to eat it too. I'm a king. Things should be at peace. I should be rich. I should have things the way I want. Life should be good. But guess what? Life is not good. He has no peace and he has no respect. And he doesn't have the things that he wants because he's not taking the proper steps. So he's protesting. I don't want this to happen. Saints, protest is what happens when we feel powerless in our circumstances protesting, standing up, getting angry at God, angry at our circumstances. It's human as the day is long. But when we live in a state of protest, we can really not get up anywhere fast. Naaman shows up. He carries a letter to the king. The king reads it. Now think of this now. Here's Naaman. This guy's leading skirmishes over the border. He's raiding his villages, and he showed up wanting a healing. And the king is too scared. He doesn't order anybody to lay a hand on him because he's too scared of him. But he turns around and he simply reads it and he says, there's no way this is going to happen. He rinses his clothes and he says, am I God that I can heal a leper? You see, this king was battle fatigued. Because Naaman had been doing what he'd been doing, he had been starting skirmishes on the outskirts of the towns and communities of Israel, and it had been causing fatigue to happen. He was always having to stay on his toes, have his military on tow, in, on, in tow, ready to go, and so they were tired. They were tired of dealing with it. They were tired because he was always taking and always keeping them in a state of unrest. 
And because he was in unrest, he got into fatigue. Can I say this? Sometimes we may protest all we want, but there comes a time when we just got to say, you know what, I'm putting my protest sign down spiritually, and I'm just going to get on my knees, and I'm going to bury this thing at the cross, and I'm going to put this thing under the blood, and I may not understand it, and I may not know, but I would rather be in the favor of God facing an enemy than to be on the outs with God and to be struggling on my own and trying to make things happen the best I know how to make happen. This king was tired, and because he was tired, he became passive. Why? He never put the attacks down. He never rallied it. Passivity. He became passive. He became so tolerant of it. He put up with it and put up with it until I can't put up with it anymore. And now suddenly, check this out, the problem that had been on his borders was now on his doorstep. The problem that he had been battling and had given him headaches on the borders was standing in front of him. When we begin to tolerate things in our life, when we begin to tolerate the things, the attitudes, the mindset, she don't appreciate me. She don't love me no more. You know what, man? I know there's plenty of women out there that would love me. I know there's plenty of men. Men, I know sometimes the only enemy comes in just like on a breeze with that, when there's irritation with your spouse. When there's other irritations in your life, you just want to fight and struggle with these things, and you want to push. You don't want to push back, but you know, I'll push back. I'm done. I'll show you. I'll show you how I'm pushing back. I'm leaving. We get fatigued. We get passive, and we get in these places, and suddenly there's a problem on the doorstep. You deal with lust and play with lust, guys, and mess around with lust, and suddenly that little casual look on the internet now is suddenly an addiction you cannot snap out of your life. It's on your doorstep. Remember talking to a good friend of mine one night. We were just hanging out in the parking lot after work. Good friend. I mean, he's like a brother to me. He's a Puerto Rican brother. I mean, just awesome, man. He's a great man of God, just a great friend. And um, one night after work, 10 o'clock, we were going out, and we, he would, we would share our struggles with one another, pray with one another, encourage one another. And, and one night in the parking lot, man, he was right there on that verge. He was in that protest quit stage. He, been, he, he could quote word to you, man. He was encouraging me many a night working overtime late at night. And here we were in the parking lot and, and, and talking about his problem that he was dealing with. And he said, man, he said, listen, he said, I'm just to the point. Big, I called him Big Mike. He was just a big guy. And he said, I'm just to the point. He said, I don't think I can go on, man. He said, because I can't be two-faced. He said, my wife is enduring all these problems and, and stuff with me. And he just said, it's just, he just shook his head. He said, I'm tired of it being the same thing over and over and over again. And man, tears welling up in his eyes. And he's not a weepy kind of guy. He just was feeling that defeat hovering over him. And I was standing there with him. I didn't even know what to say because me and Mike had encouraged one another. And I, I know to, to some people who are ready to take that Bible up and go, I, you know, they were saying, what do you mean you didn't want to, what to say, Tim? I know what you say. You say this. Let me tell you something. He knew that. And I told him that. And I prayed with him over that, encouraged him with that. And you know what? Here we are standing in tears. And he's just standing. He's just, we're just looking in silence, nothing. Around 10-something at night, just hanging out in the parking lot. And I said, you know, man. So I want to tell you something. I don't know what to say. He just looked, he just kind of looked down at the ground. I said, um, I'll just tell you this. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. The fight you're dealing with, it's not making you, it's not labeling you bad. Your fight is a good fight. Pick it up. Get back in there. 
It's time to wrestle some more. It's time to fight some more. Quit protesting and start getting in there and grappling with God like Pastor talked about. Quit protesting and start digging into the word of God. When the devil starts beating you on the head and shows up on your doorstep and you're afraid, it's time to dig in. It's time to skip a meal. It's time to get on your face. It's time to cry out to God. It's time to call a prayer partner, not a gossip partner, not somebody who's going to affirm what you're feeling in your protest, but somebody who's going to challenge your belief and start to pray with you and call you out and say, let me tell you something, it's a good fight. I can't tell you your fight's leaving, but I can tell you this. If you'll dig in and you'll grab a hole and get positioned, God will go right back with you in there again. And you're going to beat this thing because he beat this thing. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're going to come out on top. Just don't quit. Just don't quit. So the king is in despair. He rents his clothes. He sends him down to the mighty prophet Elisha who said, hey, what are you upset about? Can I ask you this morning, what are we upset about? Amen. If God be for us, who be, can be against us? What are we upset about? If I lift up my help, my helps. If the devil's saying he ain't coming, just say, no, he'll be here in a minute. I can see him right over there. I will lift up my eyes into the hills from where comes my help. It's coming from God. It's not coming from man. It's on the way. It's on the way. So go to the next one, please. Pride. i got to hurry up. Pride. He shows up. And the king, actually, Naaman goes down and meets with Elisha. And as he goes up, great pomp and circumstance. Maybe he's hoping Elisha would see it, right? Still not giving it up on appearances and image. Still not giving up on appearances. Man, we are all guilty. We don't want nobody to know we got a chink in our armor. We want nobody to know we've got something going on. So he shows up in pomp and circumstance, even though he's there for leprosy. It's almost, I kind of visualize him knocking on Elisha's door like, excuse me. I'm here now. You can come out to me now. You can come out. But he's knocking on the door, and Elisha sends his servant. Ooh, man. Now listen, you don't have to be a genius when you understand relationships and how dynamics work. That immediately is sensed as Naaman as a put down. I came this far. I'm a commander, the commander in the Syrian army, the Aram army, and you're not even going to come to the door and talk to me. He sends a servant, and he says this. The servants say this. Elisha says, go to the River Jordan, wash seven times, and he says, you'll be healed of your leprosy. Oh. Now, there's a little protest coming up here. You see, the difference between the last and between this is that pride is an attitude, because I want you to grab a hold of this. I believe Naaman had faith to be healed because Naaman took the word of a girl and went to his king and went to another king knowing that they might try to jump him in his courts and went there to get his miracle. He had faith. What he didn't have was humility. He had faith to believe the impossible was possible, but he didn't have the humility it's going to happen my way. This God healing thing is going to happen the way I want to happen. Come on, God. You know, do it your way. Do it. Let that evangelist that comes through, let Pastor Tony call me out. Let Pastor Tim stop what he's doing and saying somebody's suffering with. Let, let something happen right now that does it. It's got to happen this way, God. It's got to happen this way. He had faith. 
but he didn't have no humility. He had to realize he wasn't the shot caller no more. God was calling the shots right now. So as he stood there and the door closed, he went away in a rage. The Bible says he went away in a rage. He was angry, and he said, I certainly thought. First mistake. Who here has ever thought God was going to work one way and he went the other way? Oh, man. That's a fun game, right? That is a, that's an that's a exciting, fun game. Oh, man. He said, I thought he would come out and he would wave his hand over my affliction and it would be healed, which lets me know a couple of things, two things that it, it kind of suggests. Number one, that he was willing to be respectful of the fact that he was a Jew and could not touch him being a Jew because that would make him ceremonially unclean, but I doubt he had that education. What I've also says to me is this, that part of the deterioration of the leprosy disease is, is that as one doctor has explained, an expert explained, is it attacks it attacks the nerve endings until you feel no pain. There is a numbness in your body that you can no longer feel pain. And one doctor even said that pain to a leper is a gift because they know what can hurt them and what can't hurt them anymore. So leprosy had, I, I, I can't say it had, it had gone to this stage. I am speculating. I'll be honest with you. But at the same time, I think of Jesus, and I think of another leper that came to Jesus one time and said, Lord, if you want to, you can make me clean. And the scripture says that Jesus touched him. Now, here is what really rung into my spirit when I read that. What if that man didn't feel that touch? But he didn't come to feel the touch. He came to be healed by the master. So this man hadn't been touched by the man of God. But what he did was, is he received a word from God. Oh, man. We love to shout down a good word from God until the word from God is instructing us to do something that is not in our index to want to do. All right? Here's what he told him to do. He said, I want you to go. He gave him an imperative. I want you to go, a command. We struggle sometimes with the commands of God. Our pride swells up when we hear God commanding us, sometimes even when we know it's what we ought to do. Then it also, he struggled with not only the command of God, but the instruction of God. I want you to go to this river, and I want you to wash. And then he instructed our, 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 the direction. I want you to go this way, rather. So he said he wanted him to wash seven times, but wash in the river Jordan. His pride was bothered by that. He said, I expected. Another phrase, I expected. Man, our unmet expectations will cause a lot of anger and a lot of wrath. If we come to God with the expectation that he's God and we are surrendering our needs to him, God is faithful. But if you come to him with an expectation it will happen in a particular order, on a particular way, in a particular manner, you're going to set yourself up for major disappointment. Because God isn't subject. His ways are higher than our ways. So this is what I love. His officers say to him, Master, if you had said, if the man had asked you to go and do some great thing, you would have done it. So why not go wash and be clean? You know what? It's, we often stumble over simplicity, don't we? Only believe, Jesus said. What do you mean only believe? Do you see what's going on in my life? Do you know the cravings I have because of an addiction? Do you know the hurts and the words and the things we have done to each other in our marriage? Do you know the things that my kids have said and I've said to them and they've done back to me? Do you know this, this, thus, 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 and thus and so on? And that pride wells up that we don't know. You're asking too much. He just says, go do these things. You'll be healed. Next one. 
persuaded. He humbles himself, and he goes and does what the prophet says to do. And he goes, and he washes seven times. And he comes up, and he's healed, and he's made well. Powerful, powerful miracle takes place. And something happens in Naaman that had not happened before. He came, he thought he would use this, this faith thing in order to get what he wanted because he was a pagan worshiper. But now he was open-minded. He was open-hearted. And this is what brought him to where he was. He went down, and you've heard it preached many times, but it bears going there again. Can you imagine going down one time, bloop, coming up, nothing. One time, went under. Same. No difference. Why keep going to church? Come on, I'm kidding myself. That's for weak-minded people. What am I doing? All right, again, I'll do it again. Bloop. Comes up. Somebody at the shore, hey, I think I saw there's one of them missing. I think, oh, you're seeing things. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I still don't see anything. Let's do it again. Bloop. Come the way up to the sixth time. Now, I want to tell you something. One time, okay, I won't get too discouraged. Let's keep going. Get to the sixth time, I don't know that there was a change. Maybe there was. Maybe it was progressive. Maybe, maybe it was just the seventh time was when the miracle came. Maybe it's when he dunked down six times and he came up and said, you got one more, prophet. And he still, but every time he went down, he went lower and lower because the pride now is gone. I'm already in this. I'm already in this. Man, if you're already in this faith thing, it's not time to get out of the river now. It's time to keep dunking. It's time to keep pressing. It's time to keep going under and going under and going under because the miracle is when God says the miracle is going to happen, not when I can dictate it's going to happen or you can dictate when it's going to happen. So he comes down, and when he comes up the seventh time, the Scripture says that his skin was like a young child's. But if he had stopped on number three, or he had stopped at number four and said, guys, I'm embarrassed. I don't know why we came here. I'm ashamed that we bring him all the way out here. Let's keep this on the low, low and go home. But he kept going under and going under because that is the cure for pride, that you keep going under and pride rears itself up and you keep going under and it keep rises up and you put yourself under and under until as you continue to humble yourself before God, God will lift you up. Now it's God doing the lifting, God doing the healing, God doing the restoring, God doing the blessing. Man, that's awesome stuff that he can receive from God and know that he is healed. He goes back to the prophet's house. And get this, now Elisha comes out. And he comes out to meet him. Now, don't be, don't be too cross with Elisha on this. I like to think of it this way, that we Gentiles, everybody in this room, unless there are some Jewish friends in our audience here this morning, our congregation this morning, every one of us was on the outside of that door. Every one of us was standing out there, and he was saying, believe the gospel, and you shall receive. Just like that painting, that behold, I stand at the door and knock, somebody on the inside has got to open that door. Amen? And so, so it, we were on the outside, but now that he has humbled himself and obeyed the word of God, now suddenly God, now God is meeting him. Now the prophet meets him. And he tells him, and he listens to Naaman, and what we hear is this. And this is where we're going to quit it right here. 
We're going to pray right here. Is that Naaman says this, now I know that your God isn't just the God on this side of the border. He's the God on my side of the border. He's the God of the whole world. You see, God is at work in more than healing him of leprosy. He's trying to snap him to attention. He's interested in a lordship question. He's interested in a, in a master question. Let me tell you something. He is a good God. He reigns on the just and the unjust. He gives good things to those who curse him and blaspheme him. He gives life and breath to us all. But I tell you what, you become one of his kids and see what happens. He suddenly steps on that side. You know what he says? I only ask that you, the Lord would forgive me because I have to accompany my master into the house of a pagan house of worship. And he said, and I'm required to, to kneel with him. And during that time, may God forgive me in that time. Because what he was saying to Elisha is, is I'm done worshiping that dead God. I'm done worshiping the dead things. And wherever I go in this world, I, my heart and my worship belong exclusively to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me tell you something. Don't get a miracle from God and go back to the dead ways, the dead practices, the beggarly elements. Paul called them the beggarly elements. They are impoverished techniques and ways that will never work in the long run. Any temporary high, any temporary thing that they give you is short-lived. Because the king, and you know what? We don't hear of Naaman again, but we also, we, what we do hear is this, is that we find later is that the king recognized, people recognized Elisha when Elisha made a trip to Syria. God had opened a door for his faith, for the faith of God to enter in. Let me tell you something. It's time to put down the things in our life, the pride if you've been protesting, it's human to protest. If you've been struggling with pride, it's okay. We all deal with it. But now it's time to go under. It's the time to do an Aussie this morning and go down under and go down under until the healing comes. How many times do I got to do it? Until the healing comes. Until the strength is renewed. Until you're refreshed for a new fight. Until you're renewed for the battle ahead of you. Until you're ready to face the things that keep persistently bothering you because God will not be defeated. His word is yes and amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Let's just bow our heads and let's pray this morning. Jesus, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that, Lord God, that you're a God that is able to change our perspective this morning. And God, maybe there are some this morning that are looking at their circumstances from one point of view. Everything in their life has confirmed and affirmed their perspective. But that's because They've not met you yet in the middle of their situation. Maybe there are children of God that are facing things this morning, God, and they've lo they've losing their perspective because, Lord God, it seems like that problem is bigger, it seems invincible, seems irreversible, seems unchangeable. But, Lord, I want to thank you this morning. You're able to change our perspective into one that sees that there is a God who can heal. There is a God who can make me new again. You see, guys, sometimes I think we, what we want is we want God forgives our past and he washes it away. He washes every blot and stain when we repent and we ask forgiveness and we forsake our sin. But I think sometimes what we think is we wish the very memory would leave. And as you go in the step by step into this new living way that is in Jesus, that can happen. But sometimes those things are fresh and they sting and they hurt. 
Sometimes we think God can't use us because of something we did before we came to Christ or because of some shame or guilt hanging over our head. It's time to dunk today. It's time to leave the shame and the guilt and the pain and suffering below and let God renew your spirit. You say, when I hear my heart sometimes, I know I've said it. It's, Tim, you don't understand. I've messed up since I've been a Christian. I've been a Christian and made some mistakes that are crazy mistakes. I've done some things that I'm ashamed of or I I wouldn't want nobody to ever know about. I I wouldn't want the cat to get out of the bag. Let me tell you something. This morning, it's time just to go under and let God renew your spirit because what you did is not who you are in Christ. You are a new creation every day, a beautiful thing in God's eyes when you go under. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, would you, who would raise their hand this morning and say, Tim, I'm ready to go under. I want God. I need the refreshing of God. I need the refreshing of the Lord this morning just to, to rise in my spirit. Just raise that hand up. Say, I need the Lord's refreshing. There's some things I need to leave down under. Raise your hands up. Come on. I want to leave it underneath. I want to leave it underneath. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead. Hang on to that real quick. Hang on to that real quick. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Tim, you know what? Where I've been standing, it's been hard for me to believe in God. It's been hard for me to put my faith in a God that's let me go through some of the things I've been through or some of the things that I've done. I don't see how I can forgive me. This morning, I want you to know there is a providential God that got you in this place, and now you're going to choose which perspective you're going to latch on to. You're going to hang on to that one. And you're going to walk out here unchanged. You're going to walk out here a little bit more distant. Or you're going to say, maybe if I will humble myself this morning. And I'll let him wash me in his word. And let him wash me in his blood fresh. I can start a new commitment and a new relationship with Christ. If that's you and you want to start a new relationship with Christ, raise your hand up. Just say, Tim, I want want to give my life to Jesus this morning. I I want to become a believer in Christ. All right. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask real quick. We got, we got some time this morning. If you ask, if you just raise your hand and say, Tim, I want, to, I want to accept the Lord this morning. I want you to come right here on this side, right here. Come on, I need somebody to be bold and brave this morning. You raise your hand. There were hands that went up. If you raise your hand, come on up. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you. Come on, there were more hands that went up. You say, Tim, I want, I, want, I want to be prayed for this morning. That's awesome, Jacob. The rest of those hands that went up, there were many. And you say, Tim, I need to go down under and I need a refreshing from the Lord. I want you to come.